This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. And here we are. Here we are. Wow. So everybody give it up for Gene Reedy, our wonderful multi-multi-author, multi-multi-award winner. Gene, it's wonderful to have you. And before I forget, because I always forget, I'm Mel Rosenberg. And How many people do you know that can't remember their own names? And I am the host of the Children's Literature Channel of the New Books Network. And awesome. my guest. I'm so happy to be here. Yes. And yes. so I, I, let's start out with your name because I'm thinking, is your name really Jean Reedy? It is. It is. So my maiden name is Jean Minoni. I am 100% Italian. And I married this Irish guy, Michael Reedy, R E I D Y. And his family's from County Cork, so it's a legitimate Irish name, but that's my last name now. So as a children's writer, how long did it take you to find a guy who had a surname that you were looking for? Oh, gosh. You know, I put it out there. I interviewed. I had them pronounce it. <laughs> Great question. I, lo- I love this already. So um, <laughs> you, usually I interview... Um, I'm going to put us on gallery so everybody can see more of you and less of me. Um, much better. So um, usually I have a, um, a an interview where the author talks about a book that's coming out, but you have a zillion. So um, let's start with the books that are coming out this year, next year, and then we'll go back to your childhood. Okay. All right. So this past year, um, I had, let's see, is it two or three? Do you want me to help you? No, I get 12. There you go. I know Professor Sylvie came out this year and me and you and a book made for two came out. I get sometimes 2021 and 2022 a little mixed up because some came out. Okay, so, so uh, Jean, because this is a real backdrop, you can yeah. t- take the book out from behind you and show it to everybody. I know. I know. Oh, and a grand day. So here we go. I've got Sylvie here. Sylvie came out in July. 
I'm sorry, Sylvie came out in May. A Grand Day came out in July. And Me and You and a Book Made for Two came out in August. So those are the three beauties from this year. Okay. Yeah, I'm and, glad you and, had me do that. My pleasure. And and uh, Me and You in a, in a Book Made for Two, um, yeah. maybe I got the name right, is the second in a trilogy. That's right. That's right. So, so it started with... Um, what would you do in a book about you up here? And this came out last year um, with Joey Chu. And then this is the second. So it's about being with a friend. And then the third comes out next year. Sorry for my reach. The third comes out next year and it's called A Book About You and All the World Too. So it goes from you to you and a friend to you and all the world. And so it's kind of uh, in a kid's growing up their horizons and their world sort of expands and that's how the series expands. Okay, so um, we can decide afterwards which book we're going to focus on. Uh, they're, okay. all, uh, they're all wonderful. Um, and now let's oh, uh, go all the way back to Jean Reedy from the very beginning. Okay, okay. Um, so if you don't mind, I'm going to go even further back because it's kind of part of my story. So one second, uh, yeah, as far as far back as Garibaldi, they, <laughs> close. I think it's close. Julius um, Caesar, and, absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure there's some ties there. So all four of my grandparents and my dad were born in Italy, and the last that came over was my dad and my grandmother in about 1917. Um, and my mom's dad and his brothers started a home delivery dairy business here on the North Shore of Chicago, right in Highland Park, where I grew up. So that's how our family got to Highland Park. And the really cool thing about that history is it seems as though 98% of the Italians in Highland Park and Highwood, the neighboring town, all came from these two little mountain towns in Italy. And so if I wasn't related to these people, to these other Italians, they were certainly good friends and we had a lot in common. And many of them worked at my parents' dairy or at my my grandfather's dairy. Okay, um, hold on, hold on for a second. Yeah, um, yeah. Italian people who say my grandparents were from Italy and yeah. they don't mention a region or a town. Okay. That, that it usually yeah. means it usually means they're from Sicily. No. So we're from Emilia Romagna, and the town is Piede Pelago. So it's up north and west of Florence. And then one of my grandmothers, there was only one grandparent who wasn't from that. One, sec one second, north and west of Florence is, um, is the Switzerland in the? <laughs> it would, uh, slightly, just slightly. Near, near Torino. Uh, not quite Torino, near Ferrari, near Modena, ah, those okay. areas. Okay, never been, wonderful. Yeah, do you know Italy well? I've been many times, but not to yeah, that beautiful area. beautiful mountain culture. North, yeah. north of Florence, I get lost. Yeah. <laughs> it's where all the best food is from. So just remember oh. that. Yeah. But, um, and then one of my mom's mom was from Tuscany. Um, but, but anyway, so this town of Highland Park, which is on the north shore of Chicago, is this self-contained community. So it had, we had our grocery store, we had our dairy, we had our butcher. And, and so you could walk everywhere, including my beautiful local library. And this is a library that's worth Googling. The Highland Park Public Library is this old stone building on a ravine. It's gorgeous. 
And so I was a reader as a kid. And even though maybe I wasn't a reader, like some of my fellow authors that were always reading or always like had their flashlights on in the middle of the night and things like that. I always loved being surrounded by books. It was very comforting to me. That was one of the first places that I could walk to by myself from home. And so that was, you know, this place where I could be independent. Um, Anyway, loved growing up there. And I, even though I had a lot of friends and relatives and so on, I also was a huge daydreamer. So I'm the youngest of six. And my mom and dad, my brothers and sisters, always called me a dreamer and not always the most loving way. <laughs> You're the youngest of six. I am. I am. Wow. And there's this huge spread. Mm-hmm. So my oldest brother, John, who lives here in the Chicago area, is 18 years older than me. Wow. Um, yeah. So I had this huge imagination. I had imaginary friends. I put on plays. I wrote stories. I wrote poetry. Um yeah, I was, I was inside and out of my own head a lot. So <laughs> that's, that's pretty much my childhood. Okay, let's go back because um, you, you know, some of the people uh, that I interview write picture books for five or six year olds. And I, I think that you're sometimes writing even to the four to six year olds. Um, and I love it. Um, and um what were you like as a four to six year old? Did people read books to you before you could read or could you read at the age of four? I wanted to read at the age of four. So my mom tells the story that I went to my first day of kindergarten. We had half day in that time. I was so excited to go to school. I couldn't wait. And I came home and I was so mad that I didn't learn how to read. Um, so mad. Yeah, I just, it, you know, I, I think back then there were those kids that, did read before kindergarten, but I think there were maybe fewer than there are today. I mean, kids today are geniuses, Um, but I love school. I couldn't wait to read. In terms of people reading to me, you would have thought with all those older brothers and sisters, um, I would have been read to a lot, but my parents- I'm guessing they didn't didn't give you- uh, And my siblings were older. What's that? They didn't give you the time of day. Don't give me the time of day. That's your, why I'm a your, your, your parents were busy <laughs> delivering milk and in between de- delivering milk, having babies. That's right. That's right. And, but, you know, they were always very involved. Like my dad came home for lunch. The business was a block away. But that wasn't one of the, th- even though they read, that wasn't one of the things they did with me. That said, my grandmother grew up with us. So she lived with us and she only spoke Italian and like this broken English and she would read with me. So I have like, I've, I had to pull this down. So this is the book that she read with me most often. <laughs> and this is my original copy, but I don't know if she could read the words now or what was going on, but we would sit on the couch and we'd look at the pictures and she'd tell me stories about the pictures and we'd laugh and I'd tell her stories and we'd both be reading together. So those were some of my fondest memories of reading. She probably thought that Dr. Seuss was the speaking English, right? (laughs) I think so. And and this dictionary is like no other. Yeah, I I would say for all of the people who don't know English, Dr. Seuss is not the way to start. (laughs) Might not be. That's probably why she never learned. <laughs> could be, could be. Nobody told her. That's yeah. not really English, Grandma. 
There's a story there, Jean. There's a story there. Oh, yeah. There's always a story there. <laughs> so um, when you were a kid, no, you're too young. They didn't uh, deliver a, uh, a, they weren't milkmen and, uh, and the delivery trucks that were? Oh, yeah. With oh, the yeah. bottles, bottles made yeah, of glass? Glass bottles, glass bottles. Even to our school, we have little glass bottles. Mm. Um, I'm old now. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> you know what? I had milk delivery in Denver, and my son in Pittsburgh has glass bottle milk delivery in Pittsburgh. I mean, you pay a premium for it, but there's something very wonderful about that. And certainly back in the day, it was more common. So we had milk, butter, eggs, yogurt sometimes like a juice, vitamins, you know, they sold it all. And oh, they would come I, to the door and... Yeah. yeah. I, I Listen, I, I have a story about the milkman and maybe I'll be able to sell it now. <laughs> if you wait if you wait long Say enough, what? I, think, I, I, I wrote a book, this book, a, a manuscript about a milkman. And uh, nobody wants it because there's no milkman anymore. You're freezing That's a little bit. Uh, I'm saying that uh, I wrote a story about a milkman, but now milkmen uh -oh. are coming back, so maybe I can sell it. Oh, you know, that's so interesting because years ago, I can't remember if this was a request or so my agent came to me with a uh, request. This was now probably, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, that somebody was looking for uh kind of traditional, historic, I can't remember the words she used, Christmas story. And I wrote a milkman story related to delivery on Christmas day and what that was like. So, you know, they're going to make a comeback. I think next year milkmen are going to be huge. <laughs> I think, it, well, you are huge. Uh, let's now, uh, so, so I ask all my uh, interviewees, uh, do you write to the four, five, six-year-old Jean Reedy? Are you, at heart, a young child? Probably. Um, I know I, I, I hear that tossed around a lot. I think that, I was actually thinking about this a lot before I chatted with you today. I think there is a part of me that's, that's that person, but I think there's also a part of me that just loves that person that age group. I notice when I've got tons of nieces and nephews, I have grandchildren. Um, and when I'm hanging around with them, the ones that I gravitate to are probably the, you know, the one to five or six year olds. And they're so darn funny. And getting on their level and talking their talk probably is where I find the most enjoyment. So I don't know if that's the kid inside of me or just the person who loves that kid inside that age group. I, I think that it's wonderful if you can. I, I visited my uh, granddaughter's first grade a few years ago. Oh, um, cool. yeah. And I asked whether I could stay and whether they'd accept me. And one of her friends turned around and said to me, I think you should start off in kindergarten. <laughs> That's so classic. Oh my gosh, yes. And that, that's coming from a six-year-old, right? They're um, so, so honest. And yeah, they tell it like it is. I love that. <laughs> so so um, I'm, gonna, I'm going to allow you now to uh, grow up. And okay. then what happened? So, so then um, things took a bit of a detour because, so I went to like, uh, you know, college prep high school. And in that high school, no exposure 
to any kind of economics or business classes. It was all, you know, the sciences, literature, um, history, so on the traditional classes. And, and my parents were always in business. And so by the time I got done with high school, oh, meanwhile, there was nobody along the way. Writing was not rewarding in grade school and high school. Let's put it that way. I had one fourth grade teacher. You know, we always have that one teacher who is probably the most amazing. She still read aloud to us. Um, she she always complimented, you know, what I wrote, but I didn't take it to heart because really nobody else did. And and by the time I got out of high school, I was ready to do something different. And the only thing I hadn't studied was business. And so I ended up getting my BBA, my MBA, and I worked in the business world for a while. I worked at Pricewaterhouse. I was on Wall Street. I worked for Exxon. And then um, I know I loved it. People are always like, oh, is that what you kind of did before you found your heart? And so I'm like, no, I, I really, I really loved it. Um, when we moved back. One said, Jean, hold on, hold on. My, yeah, yeah. Uh, my brother is of that, um, of that um, <laughs> brand of fine people. Um, <laughs> so um, what did you do on Wall Street? So there, that's also where I got my MBA. I went to. I, 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 I hope not hedge funds. No, no. But I, there were those people that were on my faculty at the time, because this was in the early 80s. Um, but then I reverse commuted to Exxon, um, which was out in Florham Park, New Jersey. And my husband was working in the city and we were only there for a few years. Um, before we moved back to Denver. But my goal, actually my goal that whole time was I wanted to teach in a business school. I loved my business professors in undergrad. I wanted to teach accounting. I loved accounting, specifically auditing. And I ended up teaching in the MBA program at University of Colorado for a while. Um, and it was great because I taught in the evenings. I taught in sort of- well, well, what, Are you making all this up just for the no, show? No, no. Because you, you don't- weird? You don't have to. It's very weird. I know. Yeah, it's know. true. It's so true. Keep it's going. So true. Keep going. Yeah. And and I had started having my kids, and so actually this worked out really well because my ha husband had this like busy, crazy job, and I could teach at night when he got home. I taught in sort of a, a one of those non-traditional programs, so I had all of the geologists who were now getting their MBAs, you know, people like that, um, which was great. It was a great part-time job while I was raising my kids. Um, so it gets weirder though, because right about the time my youngest was three, I knew I was probably done with my family, but I wanted to always foster kids. Um, so we became foster parents. And we had four foster kids, not all at the same time. Um, and that's when I quit teaching. And that's, it was after my last foster kid left. She was a tiny baby. She came to me right from the hospital. She was five pounds. And it was a very emotional experience. The whole the fostering altogether is a very emotional experience. But when she left, I talked to my sister on the phone. And I said, gosh, I don't know. I don't know what to do with all this emotion. Like, this is crazy. And she said, 
write about it. You are, you have stories to tell, write about it. And that's when I started. So, but I started writing for magazines and newspapers. I wrote a lot of essays back in the day when publications actually printed essays. So Family Fun, Parents Magazine, um, the Denver Post, Christian Science Monitor, you know, all those places. Anybody who would buy my essays. No, but how, how did you break into that? Because that's a very good start. You know, you, 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 wake, you wake up in the morning and you yeah. send a... Really? So you start you start telling those stories and you... I mean, well, you just, you just wrote and, and you didn't know uh, people. You just sent queries, them off to right? And, and Sazzies. Do you remember Sazzies? Do you know what a Sazzie is, Mel? No. Ah, self-addressed. <laughs> a self-addressed stamped envelope. And... And you were doing it all through the mail. And yeah, yeah. It was probably just a few years later that I was able to query. I got to know some of the editors at a magazine called Family Fun. It was a Disney publication. And I could start querying them directly because I had written several things for them by then. And so I started writing about travel, you know, family travel and um, oh, crafty family things, but most of the time I was writing essays. And that brought me to my critique group where I met the first person in my life who was writing for children. <laughs> um, and, and she had just, she was get, just getting ready to publish her middle grade novel. And I, this was at a time when my kids were reading, they were the ages, everything from picture books to middle grade. And I was falling in love with kid lit all over again because of my kids. And here's this woman in my critique group who's publishing a middle grade novel. And I thought, wow, I want to be part of that. That That is intriguing to me. I think I have stories to tell. Wow. Um, I'm just going to let you keep going and you know, I just have this idiotic grin on my face while I listen to you because... Um, <laughs> When I asked for your biography, you didn't really send it to me. And now I understand why. I didn't send you. I thought I did. No, you it's did. Really you did. Short. You did. Yeah, but you didn't keep all the, like all the juicy stuff is out. Well, can you imagine? It would be a decades long. Um, anyway, okay. we I joined this critique group. Um, they were ladies I was with for 20 years. I was writing essays at the time that we were writing for magazines and newspapers. And one woman was writing books mostly about technology. And, and then there was my friend, Mary, who was writing for children. And we brought on another woman who was writing picture books um, and people would come and go. And uh, it was, I started writing this middle grade novel and, and it went through critique. And actually, I have like five middle grade novels resting. <laughs> really? Yes, four or five. I'd have to count. They're resting. I think they're pretty darn good, but <laughs> they need work. They need work. Um, but I wrote this middle grade novel and I, how did this work? Oh, I started going to some conferences and I, I went to this one sort of picture book or children's writing boot camp or something like that. And in this conference, I wrote a picture book and I brought it, entered in, in a contest at this other conference and it won like the top award. So now I think I'm golden because this got me like an interview with an agent, an interview with an editor, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, 
I'm done, right? Here it is. It's like 3,000 words long. <laughs> but the people who judged liked the voice and the editor and agent actually were saying, we think you should write middle grade. And it's like, okay. I queried with that picture book, that lengthy, lengthy picture book. I think I got it down to maybe 1,500 words, something like that, and got some interest um, and got, I, I had an agent, um, a big New York agency, don't want to mention any names, but an agent that wanted to go out with it immediately and see how it went. And I started asking some questions like, what about a contract? You know, I tell me more about you. I felt like signing on with an agent was an important relationship. And that person didn't like those questions and um we parted waves before we even joined together so then it was a few years and I submitted my middle grade novel to Erin Murphy who was coming to our SCBWI Rocky Mountain conference and um and she liked it but it was taking time for her to get through it um was taking time because she had other clients and she was busy you know how long it takes when you're not in yet and right about that same time, I wrote this little picture book. It was too purpley. It was 47 words. I brought it to my critique group. And I, my question for my critique group was, do I need a narrative surrounding this? Like, this is a universal problem with kids, kids in their clothes. What else do I need? Do I need it to be more about a character? And they started giving me ideas. And one woman said, gee, I, I think you should leave it alone. And I was reading one of these um, SCBWI bulletins and in there, there was a little tiny blurb that said that Jill Davis, an editor, um, extraordinary editor, was leaving her post, I think it was at Viking, and she was moving to Bloomsbury to start, um, or, or to start her list with books for the very, very young. I was like, okay. And, and Bloomsbury was open to submissions. I sent it to Jill and she pulled it out of the slush or her assistant did. So then um, she said, so, so she writes back and her assistant says, Jill loves this. She wants to know, it's, it's rather slight, <laughs> 47 words. She said, she wants to know if you have something to go with it. So what did I say? Yes, even though I didn't, <laughs> I got busy and I wrote several different versions. So one of them was too pickly. I wrote one, I think it was about hair, hairdos or something. I can't remember some of the other ones. Something that looked a little bit like too princessy, but that was more about stories. Um, and she sent me this adorable little illustration of Genevieve LaLoops who is the illustrator of that series. And Genevieve is a fabric designer. And she's like, I wanna pair you with this woman so badly. She paired us, she was getting ready to buy it. I wrote back to Erin Murphy and said, I think I'm ready to go to contract with this book. I would love for you to represent me. How does this work? So it was a little bit of a back and forth. And I actually had queries out with a few other agents and so 
while we were getting ready to go to contract, I had phone calls with a few other agents about this and my other work. And I kind of knew that I always wanted Erin though. And so signed with her and then the contract came in and then we started this long, beautiful relationship together and have sold quite a few books together. So incredible. So, um, <laughs> no, I, I'm, uh, I'm in awe of your, of your success and your, your life path towards your success. Um, and we will talk about that in a few minutes, but you have two purpley around. I, I see it right behind your shoulder. Yeah. Can you read a bit of it? And because, um, oh. it's on the other side, Jean. Oh, thanks. Everybody else can see it except you. I know. So it's too, really... too invisible. Oh, <laughs> I'm trying to think. I don't have, that's actually a good idea. If this were still a series, I might consider it. So, so I love this. So too purpley. Um, this series, I dedicated it to those that the books to those nieces and nephews that sort of inspired the different the different topics. And and this started with my niece Sarah. Um, and that, so the dedication is to Sarah, whose jammies were always too scratchy. But once I started talking to people, other parents about this, I realized that, you know, all kids have these issues. But it starts out actually on the title page. So this is one of my autographing flops. Like, this is a hazard. <laughs> that if you sign it to the wrong kid, you just bought your own book. Okay. So it starts out on this title page, adorable Genevieve Loop illustrations. No, not these clothes. Too purpley, too tickly, too puckery, too prickly. And it kind of goes on from there. And you get to the end page. There's sort of a, a little bit of a climax with, um, with a page turn, like too slippery, too soddy, too zippery, too... Polka dotty. It just sounds so comfy, just right. And uh, so it's a very simple story. But I had during this one school visit, it was so cute. I love when kids talk to me. Like my favorite part is the question and answer, but I don't want to answer the questions. I just want to hear their stories because they're a riot. And this one little boy says to me, You know what, Jean Reedy? I think she missed the bus. <laughs> You know what? I think you're right. He said, she spent too much time with her clothes and missed the bus. I love their observations. There was another kid who told me that uh, that the firewoman in Time Out for Monsters, he says, I know a secret. <laughs> What's that? He said, I think the firewoman, uh, right here, I think the firewoman is you. <laughs> a secret. But anyway, oh my gosh, it's our riot. It is. It is me. So, so, so yeah. There's nothing like reader yeah. reader re response when the readers are five year olds. Um, oh my gosh, it's the best. So, so I, I I love these kind of interviews because everything that I think you've now scrambled because and and, and this is maybe I, now we're gonna wax philosophical for a few minutes because the people that I get to interview like you. 
You're freezing are, up are, again a little bit, so I'm not hearing what you're saying, but hopefully uh, you'll come okay. back. Okay, it, it's not that important, but I'll try again. Um, I uh, When I interview people, can you hear me yet? We'll wait another second. I can see myself, but I'm not sure that it's working. Um, I can hear you now. Okay, wonderful. So I'm going to open the door a bit. Okay. Let, let more internet into the room. That's a superstition. Can you hear me now? Oive, tell me when you can hear me. Mm, this is a problem. Do we have a solution? Jean Reedy, please come back. Tel Aviv calling Chicago. Okay, we're still here. Can you hear me? Yay, you're back. I can. Okay. That's Sorry wonderful. About that. I hope no, it's I not on my end. It's my fault. I, I'm not paying the internet enough money, I think. <laughs> Something like that. Or maybe the distance from Israel to Chicago. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> There's some uh, anti-Semite in the middle of the Atlantic chopping the cords as we speak. Um, so uh, what I wanted to say when we were interrupted is that um, sometimes I'm speaking to a, a uh, wonderful author like yourself. And they tell me all the things that I need to know, uh, according to my theories and what everybody else says. And then somebody like you comes along um, and you upset the, uh, the apple cart. Now, oh, why so. does it? Well, be, because this is what happens. Like you, you, you're almost a scientist with your background. When you, when you talk about um, success stories that are like, like yours, one in a hundred thousand authors will have the success that you have. Multiple prize-winning books uh, with leading uh, publishers. Um, it's it's very rare. And then and then you know you want to say, oh, if I could be like Gene Reedy, then I would also, you know, be famous. So, but but the thing is, okay, you have to be the youngest of six. You have to, <laughs> and then you have to study uh, auditing and become a professor of business. Um, and it doesn't work. And then you have to uh, write for Parents Magazine and get in the slush pile and then write several unsuccessful middle grade magazines. And then you become world famous. So um, it that that intrigues me. So, you know, I, I hope that you recognize that you are extremely successful. You've frozen on me again. Um, and um, yes. And we want to teach everybody, including like writers like me, who have stories about spiders yeah. and turtles and yeah. uh, and being yourself and writing your own book and what have you but we're not we're not where you are uh and we want to someday aspire to be where you are and sometimes the lessons are very peculiar because you know um i'm not going to go now they work on wall street for example or or, no, have, I recommend it. <laughs> or, ha or have italian grandparents um so um why am I mentioning this? I just remember. Because when I read Too Purpley, I didn't know it was your first breakthrough book. And I said, 47 words. Nobody who didn't, if, if you weren't famous, nobody would buy that book. Not because it isn't a great book. But, you know, you're pitching a, 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 a picture book with 47 words. What chutzpah? You're not even Jewish. Most most writers, you know, they write, they write and they say, oh, how can you write a picture book in less than 500 words? Of course you can. 
But if you're a novice, you know, it's going to be like 498 words. And you, as a so-called novice, are submitting to a, <laughs> right, to Jill Davis, <laughs> a manuscript with 47 words. I know. It was scary. But, you know, it's at some point, you also have to think, what have you got to lose? Um, but, you know, to go back to your point of, of the path, and I think in some cases, the path is very important. Um, because that's where, that's where people's heart and soul lie. And there are parts of my path that are very important. Some are, are probably irrelevant, right? Uh, you asked me what it looked like, that's what it looked like. And, and you could almost scratch out those pieces. They're part of who I am today. And, and honestly, Mel, sometimes I think my business background helps in this business because I can stand back and view it objectively. I don't write my books for the business end of it. It doesn't come into play then, but you can believe when I get a rejection or, or a royalty statement or something like that, I can see, I can understand the business end of it. At least I think I can. Um, but I think, I, I think if you had to look at what goes into publishing a book and what goes into somebody publishing their first book, and, and I tell this to students also, that story not only has to take up residence in your head, it has to take up residence in your heart. And so there has to be something for you personally that you so love, not because you think, I love it because it's going to be published. But every time I look at Too Purpley, I'm like, oh my gosh, those kids. And, and I think that's how I choose my story ideas to write about. I have a million story ideas every day. But the ones that I write about are the ones that can't leave my heart alone and that make, and then I just have to hope that somebody else is on board with that same universal feeling, whatever it is. Um, and, and I can even see it with the works that I'm working on right now. You know, I do Tara Lazar's story storm too. I, I just did it for the first time last year, last year, first time, all these people get on, they're like, I've been doing it for years. I didn't think I needed to, kind of like you, because I was like, I have plenty <laughs> of stories. You know, I please, I have drawers of stories. I can't do any more or, or ideas. I have tons, and, and I, I don't have time to write them, so why would I need more ideas? And last year, I did it, and I came up with three or four that I wanted to write about immediately. Um, I just submitted one to Aaron at the beginning of this week, and I'm doing it again this year. It's yeah, you put up those antenna and you start telling yourself you're going to come up with ideas and you do. But I, but I, it, it, I that that's that's crazy because I yeah. interviewed Tara Lazar, I don't know, three weeks yeah. ago. And yeah. I said, you know what? I teach people how to come up with ideas. I'm an inventor. I don't need your story storm, but I'm gonna do you a favor and I'll sign up this year. Wow, wow, it works. And then, uh, I don't know if uh, you're listening to me because you're frozen, um, that maybe everybody else is. Um, so then, um, uh, about a week ago or two weeks ago, I interviewed Tammy Sauer. And it turns out that one of her greatest, most famous books, I think Wordy Birdie, was born in Story Story. So I have no idea if you're listening or if anybody else is listening. Um, you have this um, smile on your face. Um, but it's not going anywhere. Um, so I have to wonder um, whether I'm alone again. 
Hi, Jean, you're back. Hey, Mel, do you want me to move closer to my router? Do you think, um, can, do you, think you can? It's going to be a different background. No, no, no I, I, I want your books. Uh, eventually, okay. listen, we're, um, we're not going to be able to... Um, to do this whole interview in one shot anyway. So this is going to be this is going to be part one. Okay. And if you had a good time, like I, I saw you for a minute, I can tell you how happy you you are because you were like this. <laughs> and you weren't moving at all. And I said, oh, that's a very happy interviewee. I was frozen, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but if you're having a good time, we can continue because there's lots of talk about to talk about. You have a, a million very successful books. So while I have the internet, I, I want to ask you, which book is the most successful and which one is the most disappointing that you thought it would be successful and it's less successful? Cucumbers. <laughs> oh. Well, because cucumbers become pickles, you know. <laughs> um. <laughs> so it kind of it kind of depends on how you look at success, but too purply wildly successful, um, Truman wildly successful, and and some have still yet to be seen, right? And and then um, like they're all you know you have to say this you have to say you love all your books but you love them all for very different reasons and here's why you. Know? It actually came out in the UK before it came on the US. It was delayed in the US. It was you're, like, supposed you're like the Beatles. You're like the Beatles. I wish. I love the Beatles. I love the, That's like the highest compliment you could pay me. Um, so it came out there and they got a head start because in the US, publication was delayed because of the whole supply chain issue. So it was supposed to be out at the end, like in November of 2021 for Valentine's Day of 2022. That's kind of how things work. Well, instead it came out right before Christmas. And so it kind of got lost in the Christmas kerfuffle. Um, but what, what I love is um, it's starting, it's, it's kind of like it's having its year this year instead. And so it's, it's appeared on a lot of blogs for this Valentine's Day. And people like word of mouth has spread, but but over in the UK, it's, it's like they're a year ahead of us with this book. Even though I think in the UK it was maybe a paperback, and here it's a hardcover. And that book, oh my gosh, I got to show you this. This is so cute. So group hug. Here's the cover. This has one of these um, these book jackets where when you open it up, look at this. It's a poster, which is so adorable. So I love those kinds of surprises. Anyway, yeah. Does that so answer I, that question? Well, I, I, no. Yes, a group hug. Um, yes, group hug. Uh, I love it because um, I think it's fine to hug. And, you know, there's been a movement the past couple of years of writing without naming any names of children's books um, where hugging is uh, verboten. Um, kids that don't want to hug, that's okay. Yeah. Um, but you have... I like have those group books too. I, I yeah, like those it, books too. I yeah, and I, I might end up interviewing those people, so I don't want to, you know, deride books against hugging, but I'm a hugging yeah. proponent myself. And then you have that wonderful book on the, the with the grandpa hug on the on the cover. Oh my gosh. Is, 
Oh my gosh, Grande. Oh my yeah. God, yes. I mean, Samantha Cotterell's art. She did something cool with the book jacket too. You got to look at this because if you don't have the hard copy of the book, if you go, not the book jacket, the case cover, the case cover. So when you lift it off, you get her hand setting one of the 3D chairs so you can get the perspective of the size of her hand with one of the amazing sets because she does this 3D art and she puts it all together and then she photographs it. Like the work that goes into this beautiful book. Okay, and here we are live again. <laughs> in a new location. <laughs> in a new location, no longer Chicago, back in Denver. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, um, so, Jean, we were talking about a, um, your grandpa book. Uh-huh. And, um, and I think that we're going to do another, another a interview that's dedicated to uh, your trilogy, to the grandpa book, um, and um, I just um, I just want to tell you that you have inspired me. Um, I uh, I get a lot of inspiration from your writing. Uh, you've frozen on me again, um, and um, and I would have to say that right now my favorite book of yours is is still Truman, which is I think the the first one that I fell in love with. Um, so you want to share a few words about Truman? and why I love him more than the other books. So Truman was inspired by a tortoise friend of mine named Hagrid, who belonged to a writer friend of mine named Sarah, who used to live in Denver, where I live. Um, and Sarah and I would get together. We would have little you know, writing sessions together. And during that the, the, time, the, the, of course, the book she was dedicated to them. Your book was dedicated, it was dedicated to, them. to them. No, it was. Because during that time, Sarah and Sarah also had a full-time job, and she'd have the, we'd have these writing sessions, and she would leave Hagrid at home, and she always spoke about him kind of like you know another person in her apartment, and I always wondered what he was thinking, what he was up to when she would leave him all day, um, and and sure enough, I got to go visit him at her house. He spent one Christmas at my house with Sarah and my family. Um, and, and I think it, it, that book started actually with an adult main character who, who was a writer. And after several rounds of revisions, Sarah became a little girl going off for her first day of school, um, which on so many levels, then you know the bravery, everything it takes to take those next steps their lives were sort of parallel. And, and I think the reason why it worked is because Sarah and Truman were actually probably experiencing the exact same emotions at the exact same time. You know, her going off, I think she had trepidation and of course he did as well. So, and then, okay, but Truman wouldn't be Truman without the amazing art of Lucy Ruth Cummins. Am I right? Absolutely. Like, Oh my gosh, what struck gold when they paired me with Lucy. Um, and I remember still the email from Emma Ledbetter, my editor saying, so I, I'm thinking about Lucy Ruth Cummins. She has this adorable sketch of a turtle. Is that even a possibility? <laughs> yes, yes, I hope she says yes. So I'm so glad she did. So um, of all, and, and Truman is your most celebrated uh work, right? It's the one that won the most prizes, or am I wrong? Probably, yes. Yeah, it's probably gotten the most recognition. Yeah. 
it's beautiful. Oh, it, thank it, you. It's so poignant, it, you know. The, the turtle, his 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 journey around the world is essentially crossing the living room, right? No. <laughs> the hero's journey. What it takes to get from one side of the rug to the other, right? <laughs> Incredible. And uh, and also next time we also want to talk about your trilogy, um, which is uh, which is marvelous. Um, our internet again is uh, is unstable. So um, before we sign off of part one, um, I want to thank you again for being on this uh, difficult rocky interview. I feel a little bit like Truman myself. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Are you are you kidding? I dream of inviting you. This was like. <laughs> A great joy for me, and um, even though you you turned a lot of my thoughts on their head, but maybe that's a good thing. Um, what advice do you have as a one in a million celebrated author, famous all over the world, uh, award-winning, um, multi-deal, multidisciplinary? What is your advice uh, to aspiring authors uh, beyond getting a an MBA degree? this might I think it's it, it's in line with what I said earlier and this might sound totally hokey but it's not and that's to listen to your heart like don't you know don't try to go where the market is going we all know that doesn't work you know by the time your book gets published we're on to new things but if, if there's a story there in your heart, follow that story because then you can work to get that onto paper. If you start with a story and then you're trying to inject heart into it, that's a much harder process and it all, it's rarely authentic. So kind of listen to your really authentic self and, and write the story that's in your heart. Is that too corny? That's, no, I, I don't think it's corny at all. It's not corny because... Um, Debbie Bibo, the uh, wonderful uh, uh, agent from Milano, was on the show last week, and she says, uh, and this I found very moving, is that she will select a story or an illustration that makes her feel tingly. Yeah, it, it's like that. Like, you, you know there's a different feeling when I say follow your heart. It's you make you feel warm inside. Okay, when I look at the cover of a grand day, I get chills still to this day. And it has everything to do with the art, but it's also knowing what I put into that book. You know, there's a lot of me in that book. Um, and then, okay, here's another much more practical tip: set a timer. It's so darn easy. It's it's like story storm. Have you ever done it now? The Pomodoro method. I Pomodoro method. It's, incredible so set it for pomodoro, longer than you think you can isn't pomodoro yeah. a, a tomato yeah so it's it's that got its name from the little tomato timers that you can keep on your kitchen counter set a timer set it for longer than you think you can write um and then fill that time know that you don't have to do anything else after that the freedom that you get from setting a timer and the stick to whatever you want to call it it's it's kind of a miraculous thing like I love that technique okay I don't have a pomodoro timer oh but I I, I can put a cherry tomato on yeah. my mantle you can use your phone just keep your phone far away but set a time I usually do anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour 
where I've got my notebook, my pen, or a manuscript in front of me. And, and it forces you to go beyond the first 25 ideas, right? It forces you to, to kind of, oh, I'm still sitting here. Timer's still on. Better figure out a way to make this better. Like, and sure enough, it comes. Like it comes in those last few minutes. So I love that method. I highly okay, recommend I'm uh, you invented this method? No, no, it's been around for years. <laughs> Look up Pomodoro method or, or setting a timer with writing or any of that. No. What 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 I do is I um, just sit down and then it's two hours later and I'm still writing. Uh, that happens too. <laughs> yes, yes, that happens. But uh, I'm going to try this. You know, everybody yeah. teaches me something. Yeah. The tomato method. <laughs> Any other of these unexpected ideas? Um, I don't know how unexpected that one was, but but for right now, let me think about that. And then the next time we chat, I'll have a whole so, list. Yeah, because I owe you. You know, we uh, we have a lot of your uh, your recent books to talk about. <laughs> and uh, if you're willing to come back on the uh, show, I would be absolutely delighted to have you. So a multi-celebrated, multi-author. So let's set a date. Multi-freezing up today, Jean Reedy. Uh, it's been wonderful to have you. And uh, before I forget, which I'm going to because I haven't set the timer, maybe I should set the timer for the interviews. Uh, my name is Mel Rosenberg, and I am the host of the Children's Literature. I should have like a, a sign of a prompter. I am the host of the Children's Literature Channel, the New Books Network. And Jean, it's been wonderful to have you. And uh, this is not goodbye because you're going to be on the show. And um, in the meantime, set your Pomodoro and keep writing, everybody. <laughs> Thank you so Thanks. much. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Bye-bye.